0: So, somebody just took me out for a second. I, wanna, I want us to pray real quick. So, I just got word that, uh, I'm not going to give names for safety reasons, but uh, a member of our church, their sister just called saying they're ready to take their life right now. And so, if I'm going to lead us in prayer, but feel free to pray to yourself um, that God would intervene here, and so pray with me as I pray out loud. Lord, we do lift up this situation, this sister of one of our members who wants to take her life. I pray, Lord, that this would be the beginning of something beautiful. Lord, that you would redeem these thoughts that the sister is having. Lord, that you would spare her life, that you would walk her off the ledge. Lord, that you would open up a door that she would be ready to receive the only hope that we have in this world. Lord, the reason why we come to the end of ourselves here is because we see the hopelessness that this world has to offer. God, would you reveal yourself? Would you give wisdom to this sister as she's speaking with her, Lord, that, that they would bring comfort, that they would bring healing, Lord, that, that it would ultimately lead her to her faith and repentance if she does not know you in Christ, Lord. Would you move now? Be with this family, Lord. And I, I just pray that you would miraculously move. And bring peace to the family, too, as they maybe even feel helpless at this point, God. But, Lord, I just pray that you would intervene. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So be praying for that person. Hard to transition from that. But open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the senior pastor, and it is a joy to open up God's word. Last week, we looked at the number one sin issue in all of us, and that is what? Pride. How many of you liked that spiritual spanking last week? You came back for more today. Uh, Anybody still reeling from working through and having your heart exposed to the pride in your life? Well, this morning, I want to talk about the issue that I think pride boils down to. Like, why is there pride in our lives? And I think it comes down to this. It's a worship issue. A pride issue is a worship issue. The reason why we struggle with pride is because we have a worship problem. The reason why we get our lives in a pickle and we get our lives in a mess is because we have a worship problem. We worship ourselves, and we worship those things around us, and we will do anything to make sure that we get what we want. And if we worshiped ourselves into a mess, how do you suppose that we get out of it? We worship our way out of the mess that we have got ourselves into. And and here's the big thing that I want us to all walk away with understanding. It's this. We were made to worship. We were made to worship. Do you realize that every single person ever born is a worshiper? Whether anyone, whether a person ever steps foot in a church or not, they are worshiping someone or something. And so before we get into the text this morning, I first want to explain and look at Scripture to see what is worship exactly? What does it mean to worship something? And so the first thing I want you to look at is Romans 12.1. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what is it defining as spiritual worship here? It's presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. So whatever we give our lives over to is what we worship. And to worship something means to give our lives over to something. So tonight, what's going on? Super Bowl. Is there going to be worship that's happening tonight (laughs) at the Super Bowl? Absolutely. People are going to be bowing down to these idols that they're worshiping, longing for their player to throw the winning touchdown to win the Super Bowl, and if they don't, then they're going to scream and rip them apart. Why? <laughs> because it's an idol that's inside us. That's why people rip apart their own players, because they love it. And they, but they give themselves up for it. I mean, how many people have sacrificed in order to be in, where's it? it's in L.A., right? That's where the, I believe that's where the Super Bowl is. They have given up everything. People have taken out loans in order for them to go watch their team compete for the biggest prize in football. But for us, it's about us presenting ourselves completely over to God, our talent, our treasure, our resources. Hebrews 13 says this. Through him, through Christ, that is, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What have we come here to do this morning? Part of it is acknowledging with our lips giving a sacrifice of praise. We're giving up our Sunday when we could have been doing something else. We could have been sleeping in. We could have been whatever we wanted to do. Could have stayed up late Saturday so that we wake up at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, but we come and give a sacrifice of praise from an overflow of joy in our hearts. It goes on to say, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we sacrifice with our lips, but we also sacrifice by doing good and to share what we have. Like when you do good works for others, when you are sacrificing your time. We have a family here who who is fostering. That's a sacrifice. Giving up an ease that would have been there before in order to reach somebody who desperately needs help. That is a sacrifice to the Lord. So anything that we do... In order that's good is a sacrifice. Sharing the gifts that we have, sharing with those who are in need, that is an act of worship to the Lord. John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus says this. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And truth. So, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Let's just kind of look at it from a perspective of a Sunday morning, a gathering. We come together. There are those who are coming just to look for some kind of emotion. They want to have chills. They want to feel the spirit move, quote unquote. And and so they're not, they don't care what they sing, they just want the the rhythm to be there. Some of you have already decided, you know what, this is not good worship because we don't have drums. Or you've decided, this is great worship because there's no drums. <laughs> like, it goes both ways. Like, But for so many people, we'll call that kind of the spirit side, the emotional side, our hearts. Now, does that matter to God? Do our affections matter to the Lord? Absolutely. But if we walk out of a service judging it based on how we felt while we were in it, then we are idolatrous. And that's not true worship. We worship the Lord in spirit and truth. On the other side, there are those who come, and they are paying attention to the screen. And when the words of the songs that we're singing are up on the screen, they're looking, who sang this? Oh, that person sang it, it's out. And they're looking and guarding every word, going through every single word. Oh, I wouldn't use that word, that's pretty, nope, that's not true. And they have this 10,000 view of church when they come here, 10,000 foot view of church. They're, they're like, they're not here to like meet with the Lord. They're not here trusting that we're two or more gathered in their name, God is surely with us. They're just making sure that everything is said exactly how it should be. And if it's not said the right way, then that's a, that's a hypocritical church. That's a, like they should be damned to hell and they should never preach again. They should shut their doors. Meanwhile, they go out and their hearts have not been affected. Maybe they love the truth that we sang. We sang all the right songs. We sang enough hymns. The word was preached correctly, and their hearts were unmoved. That's like the, that's the extreme of truth. But the reality is, true worship is spirit and truth. True worship works in our heads and our minds. We see the truth, and then we are affected by it emotionally. Now, that looks different from all of us, right? Some of us, leads to tears. Like for me, I'm a crybaby sometimes. I lift up my hands. I'm an expressive worshiper. Why? Because for me, that's just how I'm over amazed at what God has done for me. And so we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And lastly, I love what, what Piper kind of brings us all together. He says this, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. Now, before we move on to that second part, I want you to look at this again. What leads to a heart that values God, treasures God, prizes God, enjoys God, is satisfied with God? What do those things come from according to what he said here? It overflows out of knowledge right the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then the response is these things the more we get to know God the more we treasure him the more we see how beautiful he is how amazing he is he is that leads us to treasure him like are you kidding me i'm a sinner who deserves hell and god paid the price for my sin by sending jesus to die on the cross for me That is amazing. How could I not treasure such a God who would humble himself for me? You see the difference there. Some of us, we want the emotion. Other of us want the truth, but it's the blend of grace and truth. And when we have an understanding of who God is, it leads to these things. He goes on to say this. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips. And demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. Notice, I I think I love the word choice he uses here. Notice, these things, these demonstrable acts of praise and demonstrable acts of love are not to earn anything. They're not to earn God's favor. These are overflows, it says. Overflows of a heart that is satisfied in who God is. Because of who God is, why would I not act on that? Because of what God has done for me, how can I not be satisfied in the Lord? That's what worship, worship means to be so satisfied in the Lord that it leads us to action. It leads us to fruit from our lips, to praise him with our lips, and it leads us to, walk, to go do something for him. That's what worship is. So now let's, with that understanding, let's look at the scripture here in Acts 13 and see what our worship does in our lives. Acts 13, starting in verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you've given us that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that in it we get to see you. We get to find out who you are, Lord. And I pray that the knowledge of who you are would lead us to an overflow of joy and satisfaction and treasuring of you. God, that we would truly worship you. God, would you open our eyes to help us understand, am I a true worshiper of God? Is there evidence that shows that this is true? Lord, would you reveal that to us? And then, God, would we have our hands open to whatever you have for us, that we would have feet ready to move, that we'd have mouths ready to speak, Lord, and that we would see people come to Christ through our faithful witness on your behalf, for your glory. So, God, have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs) And so what we see here in chapter 13, this is actually the first missionary trip. So Paul is on his way on his first missionary trip. And as you recall, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that was kind of the highlight of this whole book. The Holy Spirit was going to be given to the apostles, and they were going to be his disciples in Jerusalem. Has that happened? Yeah, it's happened. They were going to be his disciples in Judea and Samaria. Has that happened? Yep. The persecution of Stephen, remember? They scattered out of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, surrounding areas. And then the last part of that was they would be his disciples to the end of the earth. And so we are seeing the very promise in Acts 1-8 take place here as the gospel is being spread out of those places. And as we dive in here a little bit more, the first thing we see about worship is this. Our worship opens our hands. Our worship opens our hands. So we see here there are several people meeting together primarily from the church at Antioch. Uh, They name a few of these people here. I think there's more than just whose name, but Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, your Bible might have a note that Niger means dark or black. So I think this is a, an African Jewish man who is with them worshiping. And then we have Lucius. We have an, a man named Manaean. And the text says he's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So who is that exactly? Herod the Tetrarch was the son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Tetrarch was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. So when it, when it says he's a lifelong friend, it means that he was raised up alongside him. so he was a, probably a man of high stature. Like this is no slouch in, in this area, and God had converted him, brought him to Christ, much like Paul was brought to Christ. And then of course we see that Saul is with him, was with them. So notice what they were doing in verse two. What are they doing? They're worshiping and fasting, worshiping and fasting the lord we've discussed what worship is fasting is going without something like going without food for a time in order to zone in on the lord it's a, it's a leaning heavily into the lord in anticipation that he's going to provide an answer he's going to provide in some kind of way and so it's just getting ourselves to a place of heightened awareness of god so they're fasting they're hungry they're trying to get themselves to a place of being more highly, highly aware of what is going on with the Lord. They are seeking him with everything they have. These Christians were seeking the Lord fervently. They were treasuring him above everything, including food. And it was in that that God responded by telling them, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And so they did. Our worship opens our hands. Here's what I mean by that. The idea of our hands open means we are willing to do whatever the Lord wants us. Lord, do whatever my hands are open. I'm not holding on to my dreams tightly. I'm opening up to whatever you have for me. It puts us in a place where we are willing to say yes. I'm open. I want to live sent for you. Whatever you want, Lord, I am yours. And here's what we must I understand about Barnabas and Saul. Are they there, were They like out in the bars kind of partying, doing their own thing, and then out of nowhere, out of left field, God sends them on this mission? No. Their being sent was an overflow of their worship. They were sensitive to the ways of the Lord because they were seeking him out. They were spending time reading his word. They were in prayer together. They were pursuing the Lord. And because they were pursuing the Lord and actively engaged with him, because they were worshiping the Lord, it led them to have their hands open and they were ready to receive what the Lord wanted them to do. The concern I have for many in the church today is, who really has their hands open to the Lord? Who is truly worshiping him, treasuring him above all things to where they're willing to do whatever God wants them to do. And let's be sure that we're not just talking about quitting our jobs and becoming a pastor or quitting our jobs to go move around the world to be a missionary. But maybe, maybe God wants you to do that. But I want to zone in on even smaller things. You know, there's a question that all of us would love to have a letter come from the Lord. And the question that we want to answer is, God, what is your will for my life? You ever just want that? You ever just like, Lord, could you just show up in in a cloud? Or could I be by the water and just watch you part it? And then you could just meet with me? Like, there's times where I long for that. But the truth is, we have God's will written in a book for us. We have God's will for us every day. It's God's will for us to love one another. God's will is to love one another. What's God's will? Love one another. Love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. We are called to live that way. We, you want. Sometimes we use that. What is God's will? Is this some magical thing? And really, what we're saying is, God, I need something big for you to do to me. And what God is saying, look at my word. Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving your family member? For those of you who are married, husbands, what is is God's will for your life in your marriage? Is that you would love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did Christ do? Gave himself up for her. Husbands, are you giving yourselves up for your wife? That is God's will for your life. Wives, lest you want to jab your husbands there. What is God's will for you in your marriage? To respect your husband as the leader of your home. That's not something that man has said. We don't get to say whether or not who the head of the household is. God has said that. God is the head of the man. The man is the head of the family. Are you respecting them? That's what God has called us to do. Now, man, we can't abuse that. If we abuse that, you you lose the right to be the leader of your house and God will take care of you one way or the other. But we know God's will. He's made it clear to us. It is God's will for us to forgive. Always. Without question, our forgiveness should always be ready to be given out. I mean, think about this. No one can say, but, but. What did Jesus endure on the cross? He died on the cross for whose sin? His own? Our sin. I mean, and you just think about this. He's hanging on the cross. There are people throwing dice, trying to get his his clothes, mocking him. Oh, if you're Jesus, if you're God, then why don't you call for the angels to come and get you? Mocking him. And what does Jesus look down and say, You dirty, rotten sinners? Is that what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What's God's will for your life? God's will is that you forgive. God's will is that you forgive. Parents, it's God's will for you to raise up your children in the admonition of the Lord to teach them God's ways. And these things flow out of a worshiping heart. As we lean into the Lord for the little things, he will make it clear in the big things. So this leads us to a couple questions on this point. First of all, are you worshiping the Lord is he your treasure above everything how do we know if we're worshiping the Lord it means this what do we put our time towards what do we give our time to what do we give our treasures to the money that God's given us the the gifts that God has given us what are we using those treasures for and then the talents what are we using our talents for Those kind of things will help us understand, what am I really worshiping? What does all my energy go toward? What do I get excited about? What do I wake up looking forward to? What do I sacrifice everything else for? That will reveal what we are worshiping. Are you a true worshiper of the Lord? Secondly, if that's the case, then are your hands open to what the Lord might have for you? Are you willing to surrender whatever he has for you? Remember what our Lord said to us. Anyone who comes after me must do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Far too many pastors have given easy calls to the Lord. Oh, you want your life to be easy? Why don't you just say this prayer and and you'll be saved. When Jesus didn't say that, he said, repent and believe. He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That means die to yourself every day. And that's a worshipful heart understands the grace that's been given. And so the surrender is easy. Or at least gets easier as we, the more we do it. Our worship opens our hands. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus was actually the the hometown of Barnabas is where he was from. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So here's the thing. Their worship opened their hands to be willing to go wherever the Lord wanted them to. But their worship also did this. And our worship does this. Our worship moves our feet. When we are truly worshiping the Lord, when we're giving him everything and we want to please him, we're dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. We're willing to go wherever he wants us to go, and we do. Barnabas and Saul were set apart, and then what did they do? They got up on their feet and they walked out. They did what the Lord called us to do. And sometimes that is the hardest thing for us to do. We know what God wants us to do. We know what his will is. We know we need to repent of that sin, but we just love it. Oh, we love it so much. I'm not giving that up. We know that we should probably look at our phones less, but man, the draw of the screen to check our latest sports news, to see the latest sales. I know I've struggled with that on Amazon with certain things. We can get so consumed by these things, and we're, we're not doing what God has called us to do. That did the work of the Lord. It's, It's not enough to know the will of the Lord. We must act upon it. And the same is true for our faith, isn't it? What does the book of James say about faith? Faith without works is dead. Now, are we saved by our works? Our works don't save us, but genuine faith will always be followed by works. It will always be followed by works. Martin Luther said it well. He said this, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. The same is true when it comes to us as Christians. If if we say that we love Jesus, if we say that we are believers in Christ, there will be fruit that shows that that is true. If we say we have faith, there will be works that should follow the faith. Now, we don't do the works in order to have faith. We have faith, therefore we do the works. You see the order there? We can't mix those up. If we mix those up, then we're getting to what's called legalism. Where we say, okay, i got to do these things. i got to read the Bible. i got to pray in order for me to have faith, in order for me to be saved. But the reality is we got to come to the end of ourselves and realize, I can't do this life. I can't please the Lord. Why do you think God gave the Ten Commandments and all the instructions in the Old Testament? It's to help the people realize it's impossible to please God apart from Christ. Impossible. We can't do it. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. God wanted them to see, guys, you can't do this on your own. You are so wicked and filthy, you need a mediator. You need someone to come and pay the price for you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And when Jesus saves us, it leads us to action. True worship of the Lord will lead to action because true worship flows from a heart that truly loves the Lord and wants to please him and, to, and is delighted to serve in whatever He reveals. Psalm 16:11, I don't have this on the screen, but Psalm 16:11 says that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. That's why you can't guilt people into serving the Lord because it never lasts because guilt is what? Is is guilt truth? Guilt is an emotion. And what happens with emotions? They fade. Emotions don't stick with us. How many of you have been married for longer than a a day? (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. There are times where I look at my wife and I get butterflies in my stomach still, 18 years later. But the reality is there are times where those emotions aren't there. But it's my worship of the Lord that keeps me. Wanting to pursue her and wanting to love her the way Christ has called me to. Even though I fail, I still pursue that. Because that's what the Lord is doing in me. And out of the worship of the Lord, why would I not pursue my wife? Why would I not do those things? But you can't guilt people into serving the Lord. That's why when we make announcements of needs, we have needs in the church. We have needs in children's ministry, ushers and greeters. We don't want to guilt you into that. What we want to encourage you to do is like out of an overflow of your heart, you just, why wouldn't I serve? Because of what Christ has done for me, why would I not want to volunteer and help out somewhere because I want God to be glorified? Yes, I'll be an usher and a greeter because it makes a difference when people come in here. That's one reason why I'm not always in the service when it starts is because I'm greeting people in. I want people to know I'm glad to see you. And it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to have you here with us because I think it matters. Like this is we want this to be a welcoming place. But I can't guilt you into doing that. But we get to serve the Lord. That's that's the idea of a worshipful heart. We get to do these things for the Lord. We get to serve in kids ministry. We get to usher and greet. We get to do these things and we can't help but want to do that. I you know even this morning I I was talking to the worship team before the first service and just like saying a concern I have is that, you know what, this is. The, I see the same faces just about every week. And my concern is that you would grow weary in doing good. And which is encouraging. Let the worship of the Lord be an overflow to where, why wouldn't I want to come here at 7 to get ready to sing with God's people? And thankfully, I think that's where our worship team is at. How ready are you to go this morning to wherever God wants you to go? Perhaps it's as simple as doing life together with other people. One step is you came to church, praise the Lord. Maybe another step is, is you want to start doing life together in a smaller group. Because God says, confess your sins to one another that what? You may be healed. And so maybe a step for you would be, man, I want to, I want to be Real. Maybe you're in a small group, but you just haven't laid it out there. You haven't been open to where your struggles are at. But maybe the next step for you would just be willing to lay it out there a little bit so that you can get help. Maybe a step for you is going across the street and just introducing yourself to your neighbor. We, we live in it. We just moved recently in December. And so one of the things that we're excited for is spring when everybody's out. But I don't know if it's just me or if the times have really changed. But when I was a kid... I mean, people were outside all the time. Kids were outside playing. But so often, what happens today? It's like we drive in, open our garage door, park the car, shut the door. But as believers in Christ, man, let's get out there. Let's meet our neighbors. Maybe that's a step for you. It's God's. Is it not God's will for us to share the gospel with the lost? <laughs> Absolutely. It's God's will for us. The point in all of this is when we are actively and consistently worshiping the Lord, making him the center of everything we do, God will move us. It may just be a simple move. It could be a major decision. But what we do know is our worship moves our feet. Let's look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. Now, before we move on there, I want to make sure we understand, kids especially, um, when it says magician here, this is not like somebody that your parents invite to your birthday party to amaze you with their, their illusions. Uh, this is not somebody who's just having a fun time. And I mean, I love magicians. I mean, I love to see what they can do, and it's amazing. Like, are you telling me this is this is just a trick? You're just tricking me with? with my eyes and my eyes are deceiving me to to think I'm seeing something that I'm not seeing. This is a magician who is who is trying to deceive people. They're evil. These are people that you don't want to be around. And so we have this guy in the picture here. As we carry on here, verse 7, he was with the proconsul. A proconsul is like a governor or it's a military leader of a city. So this is the military leader of um Paphos I believe and so he was with him a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God but Elymas, the magician for that is the meaning of his name opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith so you have this magician hanging out with this proconsul dude who's probably somebody of pretty high stature if he's a a governor or a military leader of this place. He's trying to turn them away from what Paul is preaching. And Paul's aware of this. He, he sees what's going on. He's not going to let it happen. Look at verse 8. But Elymas the magician, for this meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So our worship not only opens our hands, and not only moves our feet, but thirdly, our worship Opens our mouths. Our worship opens our mouths. It's worth noting here, you see that Saul is also known as Paul. So up to this point, he was just known as Saul. So for those of you who may not know who Saul is, uh, Saul was a Pharisee. So he was a religious leader who hated the church, hated Jesus, and was a persecutor of it. In fact, he was there approving the stoning and murder of Stephen, who was an outspoken believer of Jesus Christ. But on his way, on Saul's way to Damascus, he was going to persecute more Christians. Jesus met him and blinded him as well and had this dramatic conversion where Saul was brought to Christ. So from this point forward, when you see Paul, it's referring to Saul. He is now transitioning using the name Paul. Paul. And Paul, he is full of the Holy Spirit. His life was centered on Christ. He went after the magician as we saw. He wasn't afraid to call him out for slander. His worship opened his mouth. So, what does this mean for us exactly? First of all, it doesn't mean that we get to go out this week and start blasting those who are speaking against the name of Jesus. Being sensitive to the spirit, worshiping the Lord takes us to a place where we're all sensitive to know when we should say something and when we should not. So you don't have permission. I'm not giving you permission to go scream like Paul did at all the people who are against the ways of the Lord. But the more we worship the Lord, the more we are spending time in his word, the more we are pursuing relationship with him. When those situations come where we should stand up and speak for the name of Jesus, he will make it clear to us. When someone comes asking questions about the Lord, seeking knowledge, when we are pursuing the Lord, when we have a relationship with him, when we understand what his word says, we will be ready to talk with them. We will be ready to open our mouths. Jesus said, if if you're going to go before judges on my account... Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the words to say. The more we know Jesus, the more his word dwells in us, the more his word will flow out of us so that we will know the times when we should speak and when we should not. The problem we have is that we're just so consumed by other things. I mean, if you were to take an inventory of the time that you've spent this week, What would your timesheet say? I I don't say this to condemn you. I say this because I I assume that you're here because you're at least curious. I assume most of you are here because you want to grow in Christ's likeness. And just like any discipline, you know, Olympic fans out there, like anybody who's in the Olympics is not there because last week they picked up some skis. Hey, I think I'm going to go to the Olympics next week. No, these are, these are people who have been skiing since like four or five years. I'm seeing these videos of these, these skiers that are like four or five. They look better than I do at 43. But what, they discipline themselves in order to know how to do these things. Why would we think it's any different for our, our lives with Christ? Why would we think that somehow we would be nailing it or doing a better job than we are if we aren't spending any time with our Savior? If we're, if we're not pursuing the Lord and his word, why would we think that we're able to handle trials when they come our way? Again, we, we give time to what we treasure, don't we? If you treasure football, what are you doing every Sunday afternoon? You're making sure you know when your time, your team is playing, and then you're making sure nothing else gets in the way of those things. Imagine if we used all of that energy that we spend on social media, on Netflix, on Hulu and Amazon Prime and we pursued the Lord with some of that time. Imagine the difference it's going to make when we have conversations with people who have questions about the Lord and no longer are we afraid because we're just trusting the Lord. This is just an overflow of my heart, of my time with the Lord. Have you ever, have you ever spent time in God's word and he's teaching you things and you're growing and you're learning and then somebody comes alongside you with a struggle and you're like, I know just what to tell you. I've just been dealing with this myself. I've been pursuing the Lord, and here's what I read in the book of Romans. Here's what we're studying in Acts at church. This might help you. It's an overflow of worship. We want to know what to say with our lips. It will overflow when we are pursuing God with everything we have. And if we're pursuing him, we're spending time in his word, he's going to lead us in these times. We're going to know what to do. Do you have anything ruling your heart this morning that keeps you from being sensitive to the Lord's leading? Perhaps you have found yourself in a place where Christ was being belittled and you had a chance to speak up but you didn't know what to say because you just aren't seeking the Lord consistently. Perhaps God has brought an unbelief in your life and It was wide open for you to share Christ, but you just didn't know what to say. There's such a fine line here between legalistic living and desiring to be used by God. I don't want you to cross the line and and beat yourself up over these things. I'm just helping you understand, man, the more we pursue God, the more we're going to be ready to know what to say. Have you ever talked to somebody about a certain topic and you're like, man, I could never know all the things that you know about that? There's a certain football podcast I listen to I really enjoy about Notre Dame football. And this guy knows more than I've ever could even dream about knowing. Why? Because he's given his life to it. And that's what happens when we give our life to the Lord. We have an understanding of it. We grow in our understanding. And we're able to speak in such a way. A fear I have for us today is that our hearts are pulled away from other things. To the point where worship is. Is only something that we tie into Sunday mornings. I'll give God Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is mine. May God lead us to to worship him and that that would overflow in us to be ready to speak. Our worship opens our mouth. And very quickly, we'll look at this last thing here. Our worship leads to more worship. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I I love what it says here. Because it wasn't just what had happened. It wasn't just the, the blindness that came upon this man that led the man to be astonished. What led him to believe? It was all of these things. It was out of the overflow of his astonishment at the teaching of God's word. And so here you have Paul and Barnabas who are worshiping the Lord, who are living out of that worship, and they're performing these things. This man is blinded. Because of his unbelief and because of trying to stir this man away from the Lord, they are living out their lives. They are speaking the gospel. This man is astonished by the teaching of God's word, and then he sees the worship being lived out by Paul and Barnabas, and that leads him to worship. And the same is true for us. Our world is desperate to see worshipers of Jesus Christ. When we are living the life that that God has called us to live, are we not drastically different than what we see out there? Is it not amazing that we can be people who have been sinned against so deeply, and yet, even though we're hurt and we don't hide it, there's still forgiveness that we offer? We still refuse to harbor bitterness because of the forgiveness that Christ has given us. That can only come out of a heart that is actively worshiping the Lord. And remember, worship flows out of what? Flows out of knowledge. The more we understand God and who he is, the more it leads us to worship. And then others notice, pay attention, and they're wondering, what is wrong with you? How come you're not losing your mind right now? This job is treating us dirty, and this is the way you respond? You're disagreeing with grace? How, how is that? Why aren't you, they deserve to be screamed at. Is that not different? Does God not call us to live drastically different from the ways of the world? And when we live the way God has called us to live, we can trust that he's going to take care of us. It may mean that we get burned. You look at scripture, James we read was stoned, was killed, was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get hurt in the process, but people see and take notice of what's going on. And our worship can lead others to become worshipers of Christ. It comes back to this. Are you a true worshiper of Christ? Do you treasure him above all things? We were made to worship. Our worship opens our hands. Our worship moves our feet. Our worship opens our mouths. And our worship leads to more worship. Let me leave you with these action steps here that you can Take these thoughts and apply them to your life this week, if that would help you. Romans 12.1, we read this already. Uh, this is just a great reminder of, of what it means to be a worshiper of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I encourage you to jump into Matthew 16, 21-28 and just spend a little bit of time reflecting on that passage. That's when Jesus says... Uh, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I encourage you to spend some time on that. And then ask yourself this question and seek the Lord. Lord, what am I worshiping? Take, take note of what you spend your time doing. What, what has captivated your heart? What consumes you on a regular basis? That's going to give you a picture of what you are worshiping. And if it's not the Lord, it's time, maybe it's a time of repentance, maybe it's a time of seeking help. Like this is when God reveals these things to us, it's not for our condemnation, it's God's grace. Because when we live this way, it leads to a life of chaos, does it not? And then the last thing is worship the Lord in action. What is God calling you to do? Take action. Take action. With that, let me just pray for us and we'll close here in a quick song. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you are worthy of everything we could possibly give. I pray for us, Lord, that we would be people who would, out of the overflow of a worshipful heart, Lord, that we would have our hands open to whatever you have for us. And, Lord, your, your will often is very clear in Scripture of things that we need to be doing, Lord. Would you help us to Out of our worship, move our feet, lead to action. And Lord, I pray that out of our worship, you would also give us the words to say at the right time. When do we just need to be silent? Father, I think of Jesus, Psalm uh, Isaiah 53 was silent. He didn't defend himself. So Lord, I know that as we pursue you with everything, you give wisdom. And Lord, if somebody's coming and they're seeking the ways of the Lord, seeking about wisdom of what is this life all about, Lord, that as we pursue you and worship, you're going to give us the words to say. And Father, I-, I long to see more worshipers in this place. New worshipers, those who were lost in their dead, lost and dead in their sins, but because of other worshipers, they were curious. And they could see the beauty of Christ in the way that we live our lives. Father, help us in this. Guard us against legalism. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, challenge us, convict us, Lord, this morning. But I pray ultimately that we would be pursuers of your word, Lord, that out of a worshipful heart, Lord, we can't wait to get in your word. And Lord, even in those moments where we're not desiring it, Lord, help us to still go after it. God, we need your help desperately in this. Thank you that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing in response.
1: As we respond to the uh, message, may we not just sing the song, but let's make it a prayer to the Lord, directly to Him. And may this be our desire. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus' name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save, worthy
0: Father, may we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, a rock that cannot be shaken. Lord, that even when the winds come and the storms come, Lord, when we are built on the foundation of Jesus, we cannot be moved. God, I pray for us that we would worship you truly this week and that out of the overflow of our worship, Lord, that we would have our hands open to what you have for us, even when we're afraid. And, Lord, when you reveal to us what we need to do, God, would we move our feet? Would we not be afraid to step into those things, trusting that, Lord, you will open our mouths and give us the words to say. And, God, I pray that as we authentically live out Christ, not perfectly, but authentically, and we show the beauty of who you are, Lord, I pray that some would come to repentance. Even this sister of this member of our church, Lord, Lord, that she could shine the light on her sister's life and she would come to you. God, thank you that you love us and care for us. This is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need anybody to talk to this morning, and love to spend some time with you. Uh, but so glad that you're here. Have a great week. And go Rams.